Hello. Welcome to the legend of Robin Hood of Sherwood. Chapter 2. The King's Deer The summer sun shone on the forest of Sherwood. The leaves of the mighty oaks rustled gently in the soft wind, and the only sound was the low hum of the insects. The peace and tranquillity was only interrupted by the occasional deer, which scattered the rabbits and other small creatures as it ran past. The deer were wild, but they were not free. Every one of them belonged to the king. But the king was away fighting in the Holy Land. Every deer in the land really belonged to his brother, the foul Prince John. Nobody could catch and kill a deer without severe punishment, no matter how hungry they were and how many mouths they had to feed. Very few men set foot in Sherwood. It was a wild place, just as dark and foreboding in the winter as it was beautiful in the summer. Some say that no man had ever ventured into the depths of the forest, so some of it remained undiscovered and unexplored. The local men, though, knew this wasn't true. A very few of them knew every inch of the forest and could, if they wanted to, hide there, away from the rest of the world and remain undiscovered for a long time. Little did they know they'd be very glad of this before too long. But in the summer of 1091, all this was yet to come. The sun shone trying to force its life-giving light to penetrate the thick canopy of the forest. Near the edge, where the tree cover was less dense, a few rays managed to make their presence known to the forest floor. On a day in late July, the successful rays picked out a couple of deer feeding under the trees. The animals had been protected by the law for many years, and just maybe they'd grown accustomed to their security. Whatever the reason, they completely failed to notice a clump of undergrowth rustle a few hundred yards or so from them. They failed to notice, that is, until an arrow flew from the ferns and pierced the breast of a doe. The animal dropped to the floor, dead before it hit the ground. The other deer took flight immediately. A few seconds later, all was quiet once more. It was a good job the bowman had hidden himself well in the undergrowth because he was by no means camouflaged. The figure that stepped gingerly from the ferns had a shock of blonde hair which was somewhat tousled after an extended period of hiding. It was his clothing, though, which really stood out. His tunic and doublet were of the brightest red, and he wore a red feather in his very red velvet cap. It seems the starving men of Sherwood still had an eye for style. Will Scarlet looked about him and made sure nobody was watching. Then he took up his bow and his fine long beaten sword and strode towards his kill. He expertly carved some meat from the carcass and carefully buried the rest. He would be back later for what he couldn't carry. The successful hunter even started to whistle as he made his way home. He didn't get far, though, before he was stopped in his tracks by a sound. It was one of those cracklings in the undergrowth that made you take notice. Somehow Will sensed the maker of the sound was human. Deciding he was done for anyway, if these were the Sheriff of Nottingham's men, he chose to brave it. He raised his bow and called out, Who's there? Come and show yourself. A man stepped into the small clearing where Will had stopped. As soon as he saw the man, Will grinned and lowered his bow. Standing for him was a tall, athletic chap, about twenty years old, dressed in a tunic made of rough green cloth. He carried a bow and a sword and wore a concerned frown. Robin of Loxley spoke to his friend in a worried tone. Will Scarlet, what on earth are you doing? Taking the king's deer. If the sheriff or Guy of Gisborne catch you, then you will surely hang. Will bowed a little. I know. It's not for me, it's for the lad. Seeing that Robin didn't know what he meant, Will continued. You've been away for a few weeks, so you haven't heard. 
Last week, my sister's husband, John Green, was suddenly taken ill. The fever set in and he was dead in a couple of days. Guy of Gisborne's men threw my sister out of her house, telling her it was needed for someone who would pay for it with his service. She came to me, but she was too weak and hungry. A night or two later, she was dead. I kept Gilbert with me. I love the lad like he was my own. He's all I have left. I will feed him. He's only 13 and I want him to grow into a fine young man. Robin's expression turned from concern to rage. Guy of Gisborne ruled the manor on behalf of the rich monks of the Abbey of St Mary. He seemed to take pleasure in destroying the lives of the simple farm workers and small landowners who inhabited the territory. Robin himself was a free man of some wealth. Loxley Hall and Farm covered some 160 acres. Robin employed a few local workers, he paid his rent on time and he lived within the law. Much as the monks of St Mary's and Guy of Gisborne wanted to throw him out, they couldn't. The Normans hated the Saxons, but King Henry's law forbade them from taking their property or their lives without cause. But Robin knew he was on thin ice. He never made any attempt to hide his contempt for the regime of Prince John and his lackey the Sheriff of Nottingham. He proclaimed his allegiance to the real king, Richard the Lionheart, off fighting in Jerusalem. He knew he would lose everything if he stepped over the line, even a little. The Sheriff and Guy of Gisborne hated him. They hated his championing of the poor and they hated his loyalty to the king. They wanted his land and they wanted him to shut up. Neither would stop at anything to get rid of him if only they had the chance. Robin of Loxley was fiercely loyal to his friends and Will Scarlet was his best friend. Only a few months separated them in age and Will was originally from similar stock. Now though, the man in red was a poor free man. Even worse, he had a new mouth to feed. He had crossed the line and killed one of the king's deer. Robin feared for him. Will was the best bowman he knew, but he was bound to run out of luck eventually. Some day he would be caught, and then, if he escaped with his life, he would be an outlaw. Robin came to a decision. He couldn't, he knew, live with himself if he watched his friends and workers starve or suffer execution. He vowed he would help them whenever he could, whatever the consequences for himself. He looked sadly into Will Scarlet's face. I can't see how this can go on, he said sadly. Only yesterday much the old miller was seized by the sheriff's men. He's still in custody, but they burned down his mill. I wonder if we'll ever see him again. I can see a time very soon when we'll all be outlawed. If it happens, Will Scarlet, then we will fight back. You and I will lead our men and we'll try our best to make things fairer. Maybe when King Richard returns from the east, we will be able to live normally again. Now, come back to my house and we'll feed little Gilbert and some of the other men. At least they'll get one good meal this week. Little was Robin to know, as he and his friend walked back to Loxley Hall that his words would come true a lot sooner than even he realised. Now, one would have thought that a man who killed the odd deer belonging to the king was unlikely to be discovered. After all, there were a lot of deer in Sherwood, and they were wild and untracked. Nobody was going to miss one or two. Unfortunately, though, the sheriff had implemented countermeasures. A band of forest rangers were employed to look after the beasts, and they were very good at their jobs. One of them, a skilful sly man called Herbert, worked tirelessly to catch the poachers. He knew every inch of the outer parts of the forest where the deer tended to roam, and he seemed to have a sixth sense when it came to poachers. Herbert the ranger entered the clearing where Will and Robin had met a little earlier that day. He noticed some tracks leading away from the clearing, 
they'd obviously been made by a man, and Herbert followed the trail. At the end of it, he found a patch of earth that had recently been disturbed. He dug down and soon discovered the deer carcass hidden there by Will Scarlet. Herbert went back to the clearing and picked up more tracks. He followed the evidence on the ground. Two men this time, he thought. The tracks led to Loxley Hall. Herbert grinned to himself and quickly made his way from the forest to the city of Nottingham. There he met the sheriff and Sir Guy of Gisborne. He threw the dead animal in front of the two men and told them he had evidence that Robin of Loxley had taken the king's deer. Sir Guy smiled an ugly smile at the ranger. At last, he said, we will have Loxley Hall back for the abbey. And better than that, we will have Robin of Loxley. I think we'll tear out his eyes and then let him live. He stroked his beard gleefully. That Saxon hound has held out for too long. We'll take his house from him tomorrow, and the next day we'll have his lady too. Much, the old miller, was brought out for questioning. He'd been caught red-handed poaching the king's deer, and he knew he was to be punished, probably by execution. He refused to give anything away. No matter how much he was tortured, his lips remained sealed. He refused to say anything about Robin of Loxley. Before long, the pain of the torture became too much, and he grabbed at a sword, intending to plunge it into the sheriff. He didn't even get close. The sheriff merely raised his hand, and one of his men shot poor Much dead. The death was cheap. His knowledge may just possibly have been some help, but in the end it didn't really matter. Swiftly and carefully, Sir Guy of Gisborne made his plans. By the morning he was ready. Robin of Loxley was going down and Marion, his lady, was going to suffer too. Marion Fitzwalter was the daughter of Lord Fitzwalter. She and Robin had grown up as playmates, although she was the daughter of an earl, and he simply a yeoman. Love had grown between them, and they swore that one day they would marry. Marion was, of course, astoundingly beautiful, as well as being very handy with a bow. Many a rich nobleman had asked for her hand in marriage. Many a lord would have accepted on behalf of his daughter but Lord Fitzwalter was unwilling to marry Marion off against her will, much as he tried to persuade her. One of the most determined of Marion's suitors was Roger de Longchamp. An unscrupulous Norman, Roger was an ideal target for Sir Guy's scheming. The evil knight told Roger that Robin of Loxley was soon to be no more, and it was about time he took his bride, by force if necessary. It was known that Marion was off to visit her uncle a couple of days later, Sir Guy suggested to Roger that this was his chance. Robin of Loxley, he said, should be no obstacle by then. Certain that Roger would do what he wanted, Guy decided it was time to carry out the first part of his plan. He would have Robin arrested for killing the king's deer. If he happened to escape justice for that, then there was no way he was going to let Marion be taken against her will. He would surely ride to protect her. With any luck, he'd kill a couple of Roger de Longchamp's men. If he did then there was no way he could escape the law. Robin of Loxley was done for, thought Guy, and he looked forward to defeating this constant thorn in his side. Back at Loxley Hall, Robin and Will cooked the sides of venison they'd carried back with them. There they feasted on them, as did a number of the starving workers who lived nearby. Will's nephew Gilbert had his first decent meal for a month. He was pale and ill, and his hands were almost devoid of colour. They nicknamed him Gilbert of the White Hands their black humour a small relief from their suffering and anxiety. The next day, they ate the king's deer again. This time they were joined by another. Young Much, 
son of Oldmuch the miller, arrived early in the afternoon. He told Robin what had happened to his father. Robin's will hardened further. He was going to fight back, even if it made him an outlaw. He didn't have long to wait before he was an outlaw. Late in the afternoon, Robin spotted some movement outside his home. Peering through the window, he was confronted with the sight of a small group of armed men. At their head was Sir Guy of Gisborne. Robin stepped out of the house, bow in hand. Will Scarlet did likewise. They were soon followed by Much the Miller's son. Robin knew Will was a superb bowman, probably as good as himself. He had no idea whether young Much was any good, but it was no time to be choosy. The three men stood ready. Behind them were six of Robin's serfs, all now well fed on the king's deer. Some of them also carried bows. When Guy of Gisborne arrived at the front of the house, he nearly laughed. Robin of Loxley, he shouted, put down your arms and surrender to me so you can suffer your due punishment. Punishment for what? yelled Robin. You and your men have slain the king's deer in the forest of Sherwood. For that, Robin of Loxley, you are hereby stripped of your lands. When I get you back to Nottingham, you will also be stripped of your right hand. Never again will you raise a bow. Guy laughed in triumph. So I'm guilty without trial? Since King Richard went crusading, there has been no justice in England. Evil men like you lord it over honest workers like us. Well, now it ends. If you step forward another ten paces, we will fire, and you can be sure that some of these men will never see another day's light. Kill him, ordered Guy. One of Sir Guy's men raised his crossbow and fired. The bolt missed Robin and landed squarely in the heart of one of his men. The man dropped dead to the ground. Robin wasted no time. In a fraction of a second he raised his bow and fired. The arrow flew straight and true at Guy's head and hit him between the eyes. Guy of Gisborne fell dead to the ground. Or he would have done if he hadn't been wearing full armour. Instead of killing him, the arrow stuck in the bars of his visor. The bolt hit with some force though and Guy nearly fell from his horse. As he was steadying himself, another arrow flew from Robin's bow and lodged itself in the neck of the man who had killed his man. This man wore no armour, and the bolt almost went all the way through him. Now we're all dead if they take us, cried Robin to his men. Will Scarlet and Much the Miller's son knew what he meant. Without delay, they loaded and fired. Guy's men tried to respond, but Robin and Will were too good for them. Within a minute, all of the men who had come to Roxley with Sir Guy of Gisborne lay dead in front of Robin's house. Only Sir Guy himself remained. Robin drew his sword and strode towards his nemesis, bidding him to fight. Despite the fact that Guy was dressed in full armour and Robin had none, the fight was very even. Eventually, Robin unleashed such a blow that Guy of Gisborne dropped to the ground, stunned. Quickly, Will, tie him up. Will Scarlet didn't need to be told twice. Within a few minutes, Sir Guy of Gisborne was trussed up like a kipper. The man in the red cap then sniggered as he tied the stricken knight to his own horse. Sir Guy's head was placed very close to the rear end of the animal, so he might get the full effect of any smelly emissions. When he had finished, Will Scarlet was still giggling. Robin motioned to him to cut it out, and then spoke. Ride to the abbot, Sir Guy of Gisborne. Tell him he may have Loxley Hall. Tell him too, he will pay over and over again for it. Every rich baron or man of the church who upholds the unjust laws will be a fair target. I will take from them and give to the poor people who live in the sheriff's domain. From now on, 
everyone will come to know the name of Robin of Loxley. The horse was sent on its way back towards the abbey. Guy tried to say something through the gag in his mouth. Robin thought he heard the word Marion. He knew that his love was due to travel to see her uncle the following day. He made up his mind to secretly follow her and ensure she arrived safely. Robin, Will and Much the Miller's son rode into the depths of Sherwood Forest. With them were the first of Robin's band of men who would rule the forest for many years to come. There were just nine of them. As the months and years passed this number would grow and the tales of Robin and his merry men would be told the length and breadth of England. No unjust baron or priest on the take would be safe. Robin and his men found some shelter in the depths of the forest and settled down for the night. In the morning, Robin secretly left the glade. He was determined to protect Marion on her journey and he didn't want to risk any of his men. Will Scarlet, though, spotted him leave and insisted that he come too. He owed Robin his life and that life would forever be used to aid Robin in everything he did. It wasn't long before they spotted Marion and her party and they followed at a safe distance. Marion was on horseback, attended by Walter, the steward of her father's house. They were accompanied by nine servants. Robin and Will were carefully out of sight when Roger de Longchamp and his men burst through the trees. The poor servants stood no chance against Sir Roger's armed men. The fighting was fierce, but the attackers were getting the upper hand. Sir Roger himself charged towards Marion and managed to grab hold of the reins of her horse. His hands were wrapped by the staff held by Walter. Sir Roger, annoyed by this momentary distraction, swung his sword and knocked Walter from his horse. He then turned his attention back to Marion's mount. Walter regained his feet and tried again, but Roger was too quick for him. He raised his sword and swung once more. Had the stroke been completed, Walter would have been cut in two. It was halted, though, when Sir Roger's head suddenly grew by three feet. An arrow embedded itself in his brain, having travelled through his visor. The dead knight fell from his horse and hit the ground with an almighty metallic thud. The sound momentarily distracted his men, and a few seconds later, three of them also lay dead, arrows in their heads. It was clear from how and where they fell, there was more than one bowman firing at them, and this was enough to spook the rest of the men. Roger de Longchamp's remaining attendants fled from Sherwood. When they were sure that all of the attackers were either dead or had scarpered, Robin and Will stepped out. They picked Walter up and remounted him. Oh, sweet Robin, I knew you wouldn't fail me, said Marion softly. Never, replied Robin, but things will never be the same. Today I have killed Roger de Longchamp and I have killed men who worked for Sir Guy of Gisborne. I will be an outlaw, wanted by those who rule unjustly. Today I will go into the forest and make it my home. There I will fight for justice and against the law. One day good King Richard will return, and then, I hope, we can be married. Until then, stay safe, my love. Marion nodded. She would be protected in her father's castle. Not even Guy of Gisborne would risk another attempt to take her. Robin and Marion parted, unsure whether they would see each other again. Marion and Walter returned to the relative safety of Lord Fitzwalter's castle. Robin and Will Scarlet made their way back to the depths of Sherwood Forest, both contemplating their new lives as outlaws. Next time, Robin and his band of men will rob from the rich and give to the poor, just as we know they should. Until then, have a great couple of weeks and I'll speak to you next time.